Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, let's get back into the Gospel of Mark, the study we've been going through for quite a, quite a while now. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 12 a series that's entitled Getting In on the Good News. Mark starts his book with this phrase, the gospel according to Jesus Christ. And that word gospel simply means good news. So Mark says right off the bat, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to tell the story of Jesus from his understanding and his perspective. And he so wants us to get in on this news. It's the most rapid fire gospel. It's the most energetic gospel. And, uh, and he's inviting us to investigate the person and the work of Jesus and uh, open our hearts to the possibility of getting in on this good news. And it is good news, but it's also challenging news as, uh, as Jesus uh, did not fit the preconceived containers that uh, the Jews of his day, and certainly not the Romans of the day, uh, had thought that he was going to fit into. And so for, in order for it to be good news to them, they had to allow uh, their presuppositions to be challenged. Uh, they had to allow their boxes to be blown up. And I would say the same is true for us today. If we're really going to encounter Jesus in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his goodness, we have to allow him to be who he is. And we have to encounter him as he is and let him do his work in us and hear his call to follow him and not try to squeeze him into our mold. And that's sort of been a recurring theme as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. Excuse me, and we're going to see that again today. As we head into this passage in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, the title of the message this morning is Landlord, Landlords, Tenants, and Taxes. Uh, three things that we're all well aware of. We're all either landlords or tenants, or some of us are both. Uh, and we all, unless we're uh, fudging the system somehow, we all pay taxes. Um, and those things are all a part of this story this morning. As we come uh, to this passage, uh, we need to just recognize, uh, as I mentioned in our prayer, that we really are in a time of fear, frustration, and uncertainty. Um, I just got to be honest with you. I'm really tired of being a TV preacher, and I really do. Rhonda and I both really miss being together with you as I'm sure you all miss being together with one another and with your families and your neighbors. Um, and uh, and long, the longer this goes on, the level of fear, frustration, and certainty is sure to grow. And when we're in times like that, there's a couple of directions we tend to go. There's probably more than a couple, but there's a couple I'd like to address this morning. And the first one is this, is that as fear rises, uh, fear can turn into paranoia. Fear can become the driver of our life and the driver of our worldview. And then that paranoia oftentimes lends itself uh, into conspiracy theories about what's really going on. And especially in our day of 
24-7 news and social media, you can just see the fear and the paranoia and the conspiracy theories rising and growing like weeds. I would encourage you, challenge you, please don't let fear become the driver of your life and don't give in to the various uh, conspiracy theories that you might be hearing. We're all going to be afraid at times. We're all frustrated. Uh, We're all filled with uncertainty. But as followers of Christ, those of us that have entrusted ourselves to God, uh, we have a higher perspective and we can be afraid without letting fear drive us and giving in to paranoia. And we can have a sound mind and try to really find out as best we can good information. And, and uh, in this case with the virus, good science to guide us uh, and not give in to silly, uh, self-serving uh, conspiracy theories. And really the paranoia and the conspiracy theories come about because we're all looking for, for a who or what we can blame to give an outlet to our fear and frustration. The the longer this goes on, it's like somebody needs to fix this. And whose fault is this? And the fact of the matter, it might not be anybody's fault, and it seems like nobody's really sure right now how to fix it. We're we're still in that unknowing time. And, And so let's not give in to that. The other direction we might go or might in con- separately or in conjunction with paranoia and conspiracy theories is we might turn toward politics, to political leaders and political uh, situations. And we, we might try to use politics to manipulate uh, the situation, trying to find out who or what can we control to bend the situation to our benefit or to bend the news, the situation, to fit our preconceived notion of what should be going on. Um, there's a big push right now to open up the doors and let us outside again and get the economy going, and I totally get that. Um, but right now, the medical experts are telling us that's a really bad idea, at least on a, on a whole-scale sale basis. And, um, and yet, there's a lot of news out there uh, trying to spin that a different way. And I'm not pretending to know all the answers and know what's right or wrong, but we need to be careful that we're not... Uh, being confused by conspiracy theories or trying to manipulate, uh, listen to what we want to listen to or try to get in the ear of somebody that we think might move things in the direction we think they should go for our own benefit, whether that's the right way or not. And when we come to our story and we come to the time of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark right now, we need to recognize that they were in a similar situation. There wasn't a, a physical virus, but they certainly saw the Roman Empire as a virus. And they had been under Roman rule for many, many years. And they were, it was a time of great fear, uh, a very high level of frustration and, and rampant uncertainty. Um, they were fearful of the Romans. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace that we, we read about, was a peace that was held together by brutal violence for anyone that stepped out of line anyone that disrupted the status quo. And you weren't always sure how that happened. And the Jews were very aware of, they, they could be uh, called to task uh, in one way or another just by maybe losing a job or actually being killed uh, for, for anything they might do that might be seen as uh, working against Roman rule. So there was great fear. There was a tremendous level of frustration as they were, they saw themselves as the people of God. This was Israel. This was Jerusalem. This was their temple. This was their country. And they have this pagan occupying force that had been there for years. And they're, they're crying out, Lord, how long? And this is wrong. And how long is this going to go on? 
And that led to just a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, Nobody knew how long this was going to go on. Nobody knew what the best course of action was. And so in the midst of that, there there was all sorts of paranoia and there were all sorts of conspiracy theories. Uh, By the time that Jesus came along, uh, being touted as the Messiah and eventually claiming to be the Messiah, there had already been a whole bunch of men, mainly, that had come along claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah that Israel was longing for. And one way or another, that showing not to be the case, but people would glom onto them. And they would either run away to the desert and thinking that God was going to come there, or they'd take up arms and try to fight violently against the Romans. And that actually is what happened 70 years after Jesus' death with horrible results. So there was paranoia, and there were conspiracy theories, and there was political manipulation and political games being played. And we'll see that in this story, um, or we've seen that in the stories as we've gone along, that, um, that uh, the... Um, that these religious leaders, uh, while they hated the Romans, were also trying to figure out how they could work with them to their own benefit and uh, just try to ma- manipulate the situation and manipulate the people uh, so that they, they would maintain their position and their power and try to move their agenda forward. And it's in that setting that we come to our passage. Um, we have come, just come... In the last couple of weeks, Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He's come to the city riding on a donkey and on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Uh, last week, we saw that just the next day he went in, and instead of uh, blessing everyone and blessing what was going on at the temple, he went in and actually flipped the tables over and disrupted everything and uh, said, you have uh, turned God's good thing into something that it's not supposed to be, and he actually demonstrated his authority over the temple and over <clears throat> the people. And, um, and that passage last week ended with the, the religious leaders coming to Jesus and challenging him and, him, him and saying, by whose authority uh, are you doing this? Who gave you the right to go in to the temple and cause all, this, cause all these problems? And if you remember, Jesus said, well, I'll tell you by whose authority if you answer a question. And he asked about John's baptism. Remember at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, John came baptizing, uh, a baptism of repentance, and he even baptized Jesus. And that's where, uh, when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so that on top of Jesus' miracles and his teaching, all of this, he'd proved his authority, and yet still the religious leaders are challenging him. And he said, so if you want to know where my authority comes from, let me ask you about John's baptism. Was it from God or not? And they couldn't answer the question, because if they said it was from God, then they'd be responsible for why they didn't believe John. And if they said it wasn't from God, they were afraid of the crowd, because the crowd believed John, John the Baptist was a prophet. And so they said, we don't know. And so then Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you uh, by whose authority I, I, I do this, even though it's obvious. Well, the very next passage is the passage we're going to read um, uh, right now. And it really is an answer to the question, by whose authority are you doing this? And from the passage last week and the passage we're going to read now, what we're seeing is that the center of God's purposes in the world is shifting from the temple and Israel to Jesus and the church. And in that church, the Gentiles. 
Before, it was only the Jews and it was only the temple. That's where you met God and that's where things happened. And Jesus is now come and he's disrupting all of that and we're seeing that the whole center of gravity and God's work on the earth is shifting from the temple in Israel and Israel to Jesus and the church, including the Gentiles. So let's take a moment and read the passage together. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. It says, then uh, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Another way you could think about this, he says, once upon a time, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then the owner sent uh, the landlord sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Other translations say threw him over the wall. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, or some uh, translations say the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest Jesus uh, to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. That's the same thing we heard last week when Jesus flipped over all the stuff in the temple. They looked for a way to kill him, but they were afraid of the crowd. And it says the same thing here. They looked to it for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later, they sent <clears throat> some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Those were uh, Herod was the king of the Jews under Rome. He was the local ruler. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. They're trying to flatter him and, and they're, being, uh, they're being disingenuous. We know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to what they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, even though they don't believe that. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Denarius was the coin of the day, the Roman coin. They brought the coin and he asked them whose image is on this and whose inscription. Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. And it says that they were amazed at him. Well, this is a long passage, two different stories, a parable and an incident with Jesus and the religious leaders and the Herodians. And there's a lot of different ways we could approach this, but I just want to make a few comments uh, about this um, as we think of landlords and tenants and taxes. 
First of all, as Jesus tells the story, the people would have been very familiar of this imagery of a vineyard uh, and an owner and uh, an attention between the tenants of the vineyard and the landlord. Uh, it harkens back to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, uh, which begins this way. I won't read the whole thing, but it begins with God through the prophet Isaiah saying, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest, vine, the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And it goes on from there about that and then what God does in response to that. So there's this, with the people of Israel, they have this historical understanding of, of this allegorical, parabolical way of thinking of themselves as God being the, the, the uh, landlord, God being the farmer, and them being the vineyard and the caretakers of the vineyard. And in Isaiah's passion, they're take, pass, passage, excuse me, they're taken to task for being unfruitful, uh, sort of like the fig tree uh, last Sunday. Uh, but in this case, Jesus tells a similar story, but targets especially the religious leaders uh, of, um, of instead of tending the landlord's vineyard, God's vineyard, and producing appropriate fruit and caring for it uh, on God's behalf for his purposes, uh, they have tried to take control of it themselves and, and secure their own position. And so as I preach this message this morning, you need to know that the first part of this is aimed mostly at me. I'm the religious leader right now. And as I mentioned last week, I came from a, a home, a church home with pastors all around and missionaries all around. I am the religious leaders in this passage, and I need to hear more than any of you that uh, I am responsible for how I care for God's vineyard, uh, which in this case would be now considered the church of Jesus Christ. Um, that he's planted it and he's given us charge to care for it, and we need to uh, take responsibility for that. But there's a, I want to take a step back from that in a minute and make a couple of points. Here's the central thought if you're following along this morning. We get in on the good news when we affirm Jesus as Lord of the church and King of the earth, and as God's image bearers, Submit to and follow him into his kingdom purposes rather than co-opting him for our personal, political, or religious agendas. I read back through some past sermons in the past few weeks, and this central thought, um, if you listen to me on a weekly basis, you know I always try to sort of summarize the sermon in one sort of lengthy sentence. Um, there's a lot of similar ones because Mark just keeps driving this point home um, elevating the person of Jesus over, over the temple, uh, over the political forces, over everything, and calling us to recognize him, not just as a good teacher, not just as a prophet, but as the Son of God and the Messiah for the Jews and for the whole world. And so in this passage, we see again, we get in on the good news when we affirm Jesus as Lord of the church and King of the earth and as God's image bearers submit to and follow him into his kingdom purposes rather than co-opting him for our own personal, political, or religious agendas that might be based on fear, frustration, and uncertainty. So let's take one step back from this story about a vineyard and the story about taxes. Let's take a step all the way back to the book of Genesis and recognize 
that not only are is the is the are the people of Israel uh, God's people, but we are all tenants in God's world. We sang the hymn a little uh, earlier this morning. This is my Father's world, and I think it's important, and especially in this time of of uh, just the this the time of pandemic and the, this coronavirus. We recognize. Uh, all of our sense of control uh, is, is an illusion, and the whole world has been brought to its knees by this virus that's unseen to the naked eye. And it reminds us that we are tenants in God's world. Psalm 24, verse 1 through 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters." And of course, the story at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, tells the whole story that uh, no matter how you believe we got here through special creation, evolution, whatever, that this is God's world and he started the whole process and that he made us in his image. You know, we just had celebrated Earth Day this past week. And um, I think as believers in Christ and as Christians, those that uh, accept the the worldview of the Bible, we of all people should be celebrating and recognizing that this isn't our world to manipulate to our purposes and to uh, exploit, but it's God's world to be cared for, um, and we are his tenants in his world. So coming, going back to that sort of bigger cosmological thing, now moving back to our passage about the vineyard, we recognize that we are servants we aren't just tenants in God's world, but as believers, we are servants in Christ's church. It's God's world, and it's the church of Jesus Christ. It's not our church. It's not our religion to do what we want with, to manipulate to our needs and our desires. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Um, <clears throat> Matthew says, or Jesus says there, and I tell you that you are Peter. He's affirming Peter's declaration of him as the Christ. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. In verse 10 of our passage, it says the stone the builders rejected, the stone, the person, the, the, uh, the son that they threw over the wall, they killed and threw over the wall, that stone has become the very capstone or cornerstone of God's whole plan. The capstone would be if you, in the arch, an arch of stone, the capstone's the one that goes right in the center at the top that holds it all together, or the cornerstone is the final stone that the whole rest of the building sort of rests on. We need to remind ourselves in this time of unknowing, in this time of uncertainty, that this isn't our world, it's God's world, and we're his tenants in his world. And that the church, as Christians, this isn't our idea it's, uh, Jesus doesn't serve us, but it's his church, and we are his servants to do his will in whatever way he leads us. It's, it's his vineyard, and we are the tenants. Romans chapter 1, Paul, the Apostle Paul begins his letter as he did almost all of his letters. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. You can see James chapter 1, same thing. James, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Peter, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's remind ourselves of our position. Let's humble ourselves before God at this time, and let's let him do a new work in his life. But we are not just tenants and servants, or we are, but, but, we're not, but that's not a low position in the kingdom of God and in God's 
uh, place. It's actually a high calling. The high calling of God. We are, the, we are made in the image of God. We bear his image. And as God's image bearers, we are not just tenants of God's creation, but we are caretakers, custodians, uh, stewards of his creation, called to steward the planet toward its fruitful potential. So even though it's God's world, even though it's God's vineyard, and the church of Jesus Christ, we have a critical role to play in it. On this earth, he's given it to us to care for, to steward. And you can see just, we've done that really well in some ways. And in today's world, we're seeing how well, how, uh, how poorly we have treated our world in so many ways. How we've exploded out of our own, exploited out of our own greed, our own selfishness. Uh, we've just, uh, instead of tending it, we've just taken and taken and taken or filled it full of things that aren't good for it. We need to remind ourselves that we're tenants of God's world, but we are also caretakers and custodians of his creation, and it's our job to, to steward it toward its full potential. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and increase in number to fill the earth and to subdue it or to take dominion over it. But again, moving back to our passage, we realize we're not just servants in Christ's church, servants, or slaves in the church of Jesus Christ, as the image bearers of God and those that are filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, we are actually ambassadors of God's love to this world, called to serve humanity in the spirit of Jesus Christ toward reconciliation. Jesus is taking the religious leaders to task because they were to be caretakers of God's vineyard, then the people of Israel, now the church of Jesus Christ, and instead of caring for it and then giving back to God what was his, they tried to take it for themselves and manipulate it to their own needs to maintain their position and their power. And Jesus is reminding him that, wait a minute, this is my vineyard, this is my church, you're my servants, but we're not just servants, we are ambassadors of God's love, and we are called not to rule over other people, not to force them to do things our way, but to serve humanity in the spirit of Jesus Christ toward reconciliation, reconciliation with God, with the earth, and with one another. We read this passage, I think, last week or the week before, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20. The Apostle Paul says, all of this salvation, all of this good stuff is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God is over here, we're over here, and through Christ we are brought back together. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to you and to me this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So yes, we are servants of Jesus in his church, but we are more than servants. We are ambassadors. We are his special agents of love and serve, service and witness. But it is on the grounds of service, not manipulation and control. Luke chapter 22, Luke records the words of Jesus in verse 27 saying, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, the one who's seated, who's being waited on? But Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. 
And that's seen over and over. Jesus in John chapter 13 washes the disciples' feet, takes the lowest position of the lowest servant to wash their feet. And he says, now that you've seen me wash your feet, wash each other's feet, follow my example. Brothers and sisters, in this time where there's so much uncertainty, so much fear, so much frustration, as the church of Jesus Christ, we we need to remember that this is his church. We are his servants, but we are also his ambassadors. But we move out uh, from ourselves and into this world as best we can now in a spirit of love and a spirit of service and a spirit of sacrifice, not trying to wrest control and manipulate the situation to our benefit and to meet our needs. And we all have a special role to play. Jesus takes the coin from the religious leaders that they're trying to trap him because if he says, you know, when, he, when they said, should we pay taxes or not? If he says, no, you shouldn't pay him, then he's going to be in trouble with the Romans. But he says, if he says, yes, you should pay the tax, then the Jews are going to hate him because they hated the Romans and they hated having to pay the tax. So he asks for a coin and he just brilliant, Jesus is so brilliant. It's a tiny little coin. They're, you can still find them today. They're extremely valuable. And it has, he says, whose image is on it? And on one side, it's an image of, the, of Caesar, probably, uh, I think it's Tiberius Caesar. And he's called both the, uh, the high priest, it says in Latin, and the son of God. The same words that Jesus used about himself. And, on the, uh, and, and it has his image and those words. And he shows the coin to the religious leaders, who, by the way, happen to have a coin in their, their wallet, their bag. And he said, whose image is on this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's image. And very simply, but very profoundly, Jesus says, well, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give back to Caesar what's his. And another way we can interpret that is that even though we're of the kingdom of God, we live in this world. And so we need to be good citizens, and we need to give the government back what's theirs. Don't get too caught up in it, but do the right thing. Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. But then he turns around and he says, <clears throat> but give, uh, excuse me, but render unto God what is God's. So the coin bears the image of Caesar, but our lives bear the image of God himself. The beginning of Genesis, it says that we are created in the image of God. This is his world, it's his church, and we are his people stamped with his image. And when we come to him being reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ, uh, that image comes to new shine and new form, and we have a new responsibility to bear that image as best as God enables us back into his creation. And we all have a special role to play. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, very familiar to some of you, says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Brothers and sisters, in this time of quarantine, in this time of fear, frustration, and uncertainty, can I just challenge us not to give in to paranoia and conspiracy theories like a lot of the Jews of Jesus' day did? Can I challenge us not to get overly caught up in politics and just lend our ear to the people that are telling us what we hear or if we have access to somebody to try to get them to do what we want them to do because it benefits us. 
but can be reminded, be reminded that we are tenants in God's world. Uh, we, are, we are servants in his vineyard in what is now not, the, not just Israel, but the church of Jesus Christ. But we are more than tenants and servants. We are caretakers and we are ambassadors and each of us has a gift and a role to play. And quarantine does not necessarily stop that. Now is the time to press in to the Lord, to listen to his word and say, God, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to care for your vineyard, for the church? How are you calling me to care for your world and reflect your grace and glory out into the world so that we're all living for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, powerful passage that we read and talked about this morning. And Lord, there's just, it's one of those passages that there's just so much there. And uh, I've probably tried to cover too much this morning, but there's so much we could look at. But I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to humble ourselves, humble ourselves before you afresh, Lord, as we, uh, as almost all control has been taken out of our lives, or at least so much of it has been taken out of our lives right now, would it just remind us of our dependency upon you and that we're your children living in your world and Lord Jesus, that we are your servants as a part of your church and that you are at work and you desire to work in and through us even in this time. Lord, forgive us for giving into fear. Forgive us for giving into conspiracy theories. Forgive us for any way that we're trying to just listen to what we want to hear, uh, trying to impose our will uh, on a situation, uh, whether it's the best for everybody or not. Help us to learn to listen to your voice and to be led by your Holy Spirit so that we might truly honor you and bless those around us. God, bless my brothers and sisters. Encourage them as we go through this next week, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been good to be with you together this morning, and uh, you will continue to remain in my prayers and Rhonda's prayers. And now as we depart for now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.